0: like the U.S. mail, neither rain, nor snow, nor sleet, no piercing cold or burning heat or drought or desert, and not even daylight savings time can prevent us from getting an episode of Development Hell. I'm recorded. So welcome to episode number 41 of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, Just two more episodes and we catch up to how old I am. I am turning 43 on the 24th of March and I'm starting to feel really old in internet terms. Um, but we're here again broadcasting live, uh, via Icecast. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody that's shown up in IRC on Freenode in the Dev Hell channel. A few of the diehards out there, um, commenting and heckling us as we go. Um, and so, I guess it's time for another episode. 41 of these. I mean, how, how many years? I seem to think we've been doing this like three calendar years almost or something, Ed. It feels that way.
1: Well, I guess I could go to the website is, to look up it, when the it, first post was.
0: Is it even older than that? I know. It seems no, like... I'm
1: pretty sure it's not older than that. I think we're looking at more like two.
0: Yeah, only two.
1: But, but uh, hang on. Let me go look and I'll see if I can find out.
0: Well, in the meantime, uh, before we get into the episode, I want to, while Ed goes looks up when we first started, I'd like to thank our awesome sponsors, Engine Yard, fine purveyors of uh, platform as a service. Um, If you like running your uh, PHP, Ruby, uh, and or JavaScript code uh, in a nicely scalable sandbox, I would highly recommend checking out Engine Yard. They are one of the trailblazers of the whole platform as a service idea and also more importantly we want to thank uh engineering for their continued support and also thank you to wonder networks uh paul reinheimer and will Oh, God. I forget his last name again. We did this last time. I keep wanting to call him Will Power, but I don't think that's actually his name. I think Will Power is like a stock car racer or, mm-hmm. a, or IndyCar racer or something.
1: Isn't it Will Rogers?
0: I think it's Will. It might be either Rogers or Roberts. I feel bad for forgetting. I'm so sorry, Will. One of these days I will remember your last name, but Paul Reinheimer and his partner in crime will very generously donate the bandwidth so we can uh, broadcast the stream of the, uh, of the podcast.
1: Um, so how's it going, Ed? It's going pretty good. Sorry, I was in the middle of being very uh, PR-centric and posting about, like, people should ask us questions about what we're going to talk about tonight. So I was, uh, of course, basically, as usual, not listening to you. Um, I found out that our first post went up December 10th, 2011. Okay, so two years and a bit.
0: All right, fair yeah, enough. Yeah,
1: so it'll be three in December. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we're over two years, which is kind of crazy. Cool. Um uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so how am I doing? I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Um, I'm working on, um, some cool stuff at fictive kin. And, uh, one of the neat things is that, uh, we've had some time open up. So, uh, we are kind of looking for, uh, other folks who maybe have, in, you know, we're doing some side work for clients and things like that. You know, we've done a lot of internal work for our own applications and, things like that, but we've also built some stuff for other people too, uh, for some pretty cool folks. And, uh, that's one of the things that I do, um, is do client side work. So, uh, client side work, that's not correct. do work for clients. Um, so we, ha- we have some openings there. So, uh, I guess I, you know, I could, uh, pimp a little bit, uh, since I'm a partner there that, uh, we are looking, you know, if, if, uh, folks have, we have some openings, uh, in time for, to do, take on some extra work. So, if you have some need for uh, the kind of work that we do is doing web app development um, and design, also iOS work and things like that. We've got a lot of expertise in that area, in those areas, and uh, I think we do a really good job of it. So uh, it's fictivekin.com is the uh, is our domain, so you can kind of check out some of the stuff that we've done. So please check it out.
0: And for a 10% discount teleman sent you.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yes. So what yeah, really what happens is that you I get I just pocket that 10% and then I just send the rest on. So it's it's actually kind of more of a it's a skim. I think they might call it. it's a vig. Is that what you know I need to wet my beak on these. Nice. Uh, on these kind of deals. So, yeah.
0: So, for today's episode, we um, have a special guest. But before we introduce the guest, um, the main focus of tonight's um, podcast is talking about um, education in relation to programming. Um, Ed started off a very interesting discussion late last week on Twitter. Um, about teaching and languages that seem to be providing tooling to make it easier for beginners to get going. Um, and that made me wonder if, if at this point in my career I could even teach a beginner how to program, if I've forgotten how to actually approach it, if I'd never done any programming to show somebody. Because most of my teaching efforts are really focused on making people who are familiar with programming. I'm better programmers. Uh, and I couldn't imagine how I'd go about teaching someone that's never done any programming programming. So, um, Ed wanted to talk about that. And we had someone from the Twitter's, uh, offer to come onto the show and discuss some stuff about, uh, Specifically about teaching people to program. Um, so we have via Skype from well, I don't know. He's I know he's normally in Florida, but I think he's out on the West Coast, maybe, or he goes out onto the West Coast later this week. Anyway, it's um, David Rogers who is Al the X, Al underscore the underscore X, I think, on Twitter. I'm saying this without cheat without cheating and looking. No,
2: that's absolutely correct. Absolutely. And, and uh, some variation of Al the X will find me on the internet somewhere. Google knows where to where to get me.
1: I gotta tell you, it's confusing because I want to call you Al.
2: Hey, well, if you call me Al, then I get to call you Betty.
1: <laughs> very nice, very nice, very nice. I like that. Uh, do you remember when uh, I don't when Paul Simon did that album and but he didn't participate in the uh, like the the cultural sanctions against South Africa because apartheid was in place during that time and all that controversy?
0: Yeah, man, I remember that.
1: Yeah, I had forgotten totally about it, but then it came. I can't remember. I was watching a TV show or something. They were talking about you know, uh, Little Steven's artist against apartheid movement and how uh, Paul Simon was kind of like bruh, 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 I don't care. Maybe it was an article I was reading, but anyway, I don't know. I was just reminded of that it was a long time ago.
0: It wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me. Money. Uh, money speaks louder than words for many, many people. Yeah, I Cause, mean, because guess- he, he also got in trouble for like I guess that they they slapped that label onto people about. Um, cultural approbation—is that the correct? No, maybe I'm not saying the cultural appropriation, where you're like stealing stuff from a culture um, for your own benefit without kind of acknowledging its contribution. Where he used a lot on that on that big. Um, album i can't remember what it's called but it had graceland uh, graceland i don't i can't remember if the album was called graceland but yeah it was um, all those songs on it and he had all sorts of african bass rhythms and he kind of like was just like eh, well it's what i wanted to do whatever
1: well um, he he brought he played it he like did the whole thing i guess with this band lady smith lady smith black bombazo yes Awesome and, name uh, for that band, too. That's a great name. So they And they continued. They uh, they got a lot of popularity out of that and like toured and stuff with it, I guess. I didn't follow it super closely. but
2: They just released <laughs> a new <laughs> album, actually. They, they have a, a <laughs> brand-new <laughs> album out right now. It's uh, a lot of um, uh, gospel-inspired tunes from, from Africa. It's really good. You should check it out.
1: Well, there we go. So I guess it all worked out, and Paul Simon was right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, <you're laughs> right, to right. Jimmy Carter, look, that's the... the uh, this is not the this is not the correct li- diplomatic approach. Sanctions no. never work for anybody.
1: Yes, well, i uh, got to yeah. make this album. Yeah, but the Rolling Stones weren't going to play there, so.
0: Uh, you know what a loss. I just yeah, recently right. watched that video a couple months ago of of that song. I ain't going to play Sun City. That was uh, interesting seeing all the artists and stuff. And many times with people, I'm thinking, who is that person? Who is that person? And I have no idea who some of these people are. Um, then you, then you get down the rabbit hole of, uh, Wikipedia and looking at the link to the video. And then they say all the people that appeared and then clicking on the ones you don't recognize. And then before you know it, it's one in the morning and you should be sleeping. Ah, the internet. That's a good
1: use of your time.
0: The cause and solution to all the world's problems.
1: So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We were going to talk about before I, I, I made the whole thing like go off the rails. Uh, what uh what were we talking about
0: we're gonna talk about educating people
1: yeah i guess i could talk a little bit about what i brought up and you know my 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 expertise in this area is really pretty limited um but i have some interest in generally um teaching people and i should be specific about it teaching people who don't know how to code at all who are not currently developers how to code. And sometimes I get people, you know, it comes up where people are like, well, I want to explore this as maybe a career option, or, you know, we want to teach kids how to code or things like that. And those are things that come up, um, uh, a lot, a a fair bit in, in my interactions. You know, I'm on a school board for a, for a elementary school and things like that. And, um, so one of the things that, I, I I don't know why exactly it came up that day, but I was thinking about the fact that, um, there's a lot of things that, well, say people ask me, well, what's the language I should learn first if I'm going to learn how to do programming? And for a while, I hadn't thought about it for a little bit, but, um, I, it, like, it, it really wouldn't be PHP and as it is right now. And the reason why for me is generally that, um, Although I think that PHP has in many ways solved, uh, or done a much better job of the, of solving the deployment problem. Um, I think that the, how do I just start coding PHP on my computer that's sitting in front of me right now, that thing is actually kind of not easy to do. Um, and it's actually harder, um, than, uh, the, the scripting languages that, that stand out in my mind, comparable scripting languages would be Ruby and, and Python. And Python's the one I definitely have way more experience with. Um, but I guess it came up because I was thinking a lot about the PHP dev server and things like that. And I just, like two weeks ago, discovered that there's Uh, If you have read line support in current versions of PHP, you get a REPL, which is sort of a kind of halfway decent REPL, I guess. I haven't really played with a lot or tried to break it, but it sort of works um, as far as I can tell. Um, But what I was thinking was, you know, that a lot of times I see um, at Python or Ruby conferences, I'll see keynotes that talk about how are we teaching, say, kids to code or how do we teach you know, this, this, uh, group of people, how to code because, um, th- that they think that that's a valuable thing that people are interested in doing that. And I, I don't want to get into a debate about whether we should teach everybody to code or not. I don't know. I think probably learning a little bit about, it's not a bad idea, but, um, it struck me that I don't really see that culturally in PHP and, um I think that's one of the reasons why I would say that the tools that make it easy for people to start coding on their machines themselves aren't really there. There the the stuff to like um there's lots of tutorials and lots of things like that but it seems like we kind of accept the fact that it it's that an acceptable solution to those things is like to download like MAMP or WAMP or things of that nature and I sort of disagree with that. Um, I disagree with it because I think that introducing more complexity into the stack is not the way you get people started with stuff. Um, you know, when I see, when I see stuff that like, like if I think about, well, I'm talking about installing Apache now, well, now I have to have Apache installed and maintained. And sometimes it's, it's those tools try to make it easier, but it's still more crap that can break. And I'm not really excited about that. right? Um, so generally, I just, I was, I was just thinking about the fact that I think that the tools are kind of behind, um, I would say those two languages that I'm more familiar with, uh, in terms of getting people to up to speed quickly, uh, and, and making it easy for them to, to teach them how to code sort of out of the box pretty fast.
0: So let me and, offer a counterpoint at here yeah. because one of the things I've been thinking about, I do notice that especially the Ruby community is huge on trying to teach people to code through Ruby. But one of the things that I have noticed is that, I feel there's a sense of vested interest there because there are many of these uh, like programmer boot camp things that are out there that are using Ruby, and they're proclaiming that they can, in a week, two weeks, a month, three months of intensive learning, um, turn you into a programmer so you can make a whole bunch of money um, programming. And so those sort of things are much more common with Ruby than other languages, so I I think... I think sub conflict of interest is almost how I feel about it. you're promoting it because there are places because the people in the community who run these things have a vested have a vested financial interest in getting as many people as possible to sign up for them and go through the program and give you money or they get a percentage uh, they get a They get a finder's fee from uh, companies that hire people out of their programs. So it's a very slippery slope. If you, if you have this scenario where people in the community are really working hard on promoting people to, you can learn to program Ruby. Ruby makes programming. I'm, I'm just using Ruby because that's the one that I've seen by far offering these kinds of, um, programmer creation programs. Um, so to me, often it's like I look, start looking at it cynically and saying, well, sure, you're trying to funnel people into these programs where they're going to pay a bunch of money that might take them a while to um, earn back. And the pace is so intense that I think I don't, I don't know if they're really creating programmers more as people who have memorized in a short period of time how to solve one specific type of problem.
1: Well, yeah, they're teaching people how to, they've, they're teaching them a very specific stack and one yeah. tool. They're, I mean, they're, and, and in all those, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. In all those cases, what they're doing is they're teaching people how to be junior level Rails developers.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And
1: I, I would not call it, I wouldn't say that they're Ruby developers. I would say that they're Rails developers. Um, and that, I, I, I don't intend that necessarily as a slight, but what I, what I mean is I don't think that they're going to be, I don't think you're going to come out of that being a, even a junior general purpose ruby programmer i think you're going to be a rails developer and that's all you're going to be um i i'm less familiar with the ruby stuff i know exactly what you're talking about though and there's a lot of those things that are you know uh, and you end up spending literally thousands of dollars to do that kind of stuff i think the thing that it struck me a little bit was going to pi tennessee uh a couple weeks ago and they had an all-day thing that was that they coordinated that was just for kids to learn how to start coding. And they got to bring home their own Raspberry Pi devices. Um, and they just did that because they thought it was a good thing to do. Right. Um, they weren't trying to sell anybody like upsell anybody or anything like that. They just wanted kids to learn how to code and the kids who were interested in to get them, you know, have make it available to them uh, get them excited about it. And, and, it seems at least with, you know, I, I'm making a great generalization, but with on the Python side, it seems like there's a lot of, a little bit more, maybe a little more purity to it. Um, I think there's a lot of people who want to just teach how you know, who just think that coding is cool and want to do it on Ruby too. I just like there's people in PHP who want to do it too. That's fine. Um, but just in general, I think that culturally, I think particularly I've seen in the Python community a lot more of that. A, a lot more of a, hey, I just, because I think this is a good thing to do, uh, let's, let's try to make it easy for people to do that. Um, and that awareness of what it, of that really, uh, that attempt to make it, make people aware of how hard it can be for people who haven't done, who, you know, don't, maybe don't have the skills and how they start from step zero, uh, and that that's a you know that's very different than going to somebody who's like yeah I've coded some other languages before and I'm, I I want to pick this language up now that's a whole different thing um going for somebody who like well I know how to use my computer basically to do stuff like you know write office documents or browse the web or things like that now teach that person how to code i think the thing that i worry about with php is is like if the first step is okay now inso- first install an enterprise level web server right and i don't think that's a very good so i don't i don't think that should be even a part of the equation i think the equation should be okay if you don't have php on here here's the thing you do and you run this program now you've got php now start typing you know that's what i that's that's optimally what i'd like it to be because that's what that's the experience that i think you get with python and other things like that um but have i taught tried to teach it no and so that's why we brought uh Al the Exxon here because I want to I said I said that because I can't remember his actual name anymore. I've already <laughs> forgotten he said it like seven <laughs> times and I've forgotten his. No, yeah. Uh yeah, and and so I'd actually I really want to hear what you have to say, David, about that. Um, because you've actually taught PHP as a course, I think. I hope I'm not making that up. Um at least you showed me some stuff that made it sound like you knew what you're talking about. So I would really like to hear what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, um, well, let me start by, uh, by by explaining a little bit about what it is that I've been doing over the last couple of years, uh, which, which will give us the intro there. Um, I, I got sat down with um, – so we'll, we'll rewind back to 2010 real quick. Uh, I've been running the Orlando PHP user group here in Orlando, Florida, since 2008 or so. And uh, in 2010, uh, a new guy came into town uh, by the name of uh, Kaike Souza, he uh, goes by Carlos now, but he's at um, Envy Labs. Great Ruby programmer, uh, great uh, Rails developer, uh, just an open guy. Came in from Rio, and uh, he uh, when he started working at Envy, uh, the, the guys at Envy run the Ruby users group in town, uh, which was the longest-running um, user group that I had been to. Uh, I think the Java and the Linux user groups go back a little further. Uh, so, uh they, he, he had this idea that he wanted to, he wanted to pitch. Um, I, I was you know, nominally familiar with it. This idea of like a coding dojo, uh, where, uh, we do test driven development in, uh, on a, a really simple problem for, uh, an hour or so. And, uh, he, he was telling us about how there are places all over Rio that do this all the time, almost every weekend they get together and do that type of stuff. And, uh, uh, well, it seemed interesting to me, um, so we, we actually ended up starting up a coding dojo group here in Orlando, and that that ran for about a year. One of the one of our regulars was uh, the uh, director out at Valencia College, Rob McCaffrey, and uh, we sat down with Rob a couple times, and he was very interested in this teaching method because he saw how people's light bulbs were screwing in a little tighter every time they showed up to the to the coding dojo. Uh, and, uh, he, he, pitched us on this idea. Hey, if we, if we get some money to pay you guys to consult, could you help me build a curriculum, um, at the, at the community college at Valencia? Uh, and it'd be an open curriculum so that anybody could implement it, but uh, build a curriculum that would teach with the principles of the coding dojo as, as like the, um, the ground floor. And, uh, you know, we, we both looked at each other and said, yeah, sure, we'll we'll do that. We sat down with him over a, a summer a couple times and uh, hammered out some um, – we learned a lot about uh, about academia and rubrics and, and curricula building and that stuff, sort of thing uh, in that period of time. But um, we sat down and built out some plans for the different courses and how things should fit together and, um, you know, what what – uh, course objectives we would have where you know what we wanted to teach the kids and how we wanted uh, students to come through the class and, and produce that and uh, a part of that conversation was you know we we're teaching a web development program what web languages are we going to teach and how are we going to teach them uh, you know we, agree, we agreed pretty wholeheartedly we're, we need to teach test driven development we need to teach uh, source control management uh, git github uh, bitbucket something. Uh, we needed to teach a pair programming using pair programming. Those, those are the hearts of the coding dojo uh, was pair programming and test-driven development. Uh, but the question of language came up, and uh, he was a Rails guy, Ruby guy, and I was a PHP Python JavaScript guy. Um, uh, he was getting more into Node. Uh, and, you know, we sat down. There was no, there was no disagreement at all between us that JavaScript had to be a part of the curriculum. But uh, when we talked about it, we really wanted to teach Programming concepts to people that did not have any background whatsoever in programming, computer science, not a what's what's a what's a program uh, to, to students. But we wanted to use uh, JavaScript as the language of choice. Like, you know, when I came through CompSci, it was C, C plus plus or Java. And that's how you learned how to program was writing programs in C, C plus plus or Java, depending. And uh, uh we decided to go. with definitely JavaScript. We definitely need JavaScript courses. But what about server side? We don't. We can't just teach JavaScript. We don't want to just teach JavaScript uh, client side and server side because Node really does not have a big market share. And uh, surprising to me, Carlos was the one that recommended you should just teach. Um, you should, we should teach our PHP. Stick PHP on there, and it runs like eighty percent of the web, right? Uh, and we had a debate back and forth because I wasn't really sure I could. Teach PHP for all the reasons that you mentioned, Ed. It's like what well, you got this. Well, now we're going to teach him how to install Apache, and then we're going to teach him how to compile PHP. Come on! This, or I'm going to have to figure out a way to give him a server from the computer science department, who already wasn't too happy about this idea. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, but you know, he talked me into it, and uh, when when the First couple of semesters came around, they actually got approval. It took them a while to, to get through the politics. And the first couple of semesters came around, Rob came back to us and said, so I, I got approval for these courses. I need teachers. Would you like to, would you like to teach something? Uh, and at the time, Carlos was, wasn't available to do so, but you know, I signed up. And that was uh, shortly after. It was my first semester as an adjunct there. Um, and the first course that we had sign-ups for was the introduction to Server-side programming with uh, PHP, and that's that's when the that's when you know, the the fit hit the chan. Right, I got to figure out how I'm going to teach this stupid thing. Uh, so I, I had been toying around with some other tools, and uh, I, I guess around this time, or uh, shortly, maybe right after I had come to my own conclusions, there was that um, uh, that post that went around on Hacker News about the two week problem, where you know every Every development language, every backend development language, still has this two-week problem where uh, you get a new guy in. Um, in order to get him up to speed, you got to help him get his workstation set up. He's got to get, you know, if he's if he's doing Rails development, uh, we got to get uh, the version of Ruby and Rails and RBA, ENV and everything that's uh, that he needs on his machine. And if we're using, um, you know, Apache for our web server or, or, and, and PHP, then we got to get uh, the version of Apache that we're using and. Uh, get him installed with PHP and uh, all of the dependencies that, that our app is going to use. And then he's got to get up to speed on the code base. And, oh, yeah, you forgot to source this file in your Bash RC. You don't know about Bash RC. This is awesome. So about two weeks later, the guy actually is able to write his first lines of code um, because he's had to go through all this yak shaving to get to I can write code now. I really did not want to spend. Uh, the course as it was pitched was one day a week or 18 weeks and then I really put a bit of fire in my behind, uh, to figure out how I could not spend two, three, four meetings, just setting up Apache on everybody's machine and community college too. So they may or may not have a machine. And if they do the likelihood that it's going to be something easy to set up like a Linux box or a, a Macintosh is, uh, I, yeah so and and you know talking with the labbies and everything about how to get something installed in the labs you know Rob offered um, he got me a, uh, a a lab there on the college that had Macs all you know up and down both sides um, but uh, when I was re- when I was building my curriculum I really wanted the the students to take home work and and you know do work at home just um, the approach that I took with the with the course was to teach whatever language I was going to teach phP javascript uh, as a second language first. So if you follow like Pimsleur or if you follow one of the um, uh, Rosetta Stone, and they teach you how to read the language before they re- really teach you how to uh, speak the language, um, or they'll teach you how to say, how, how to at least uh, visualize and, and verbalize the, uh, the parts of the language without really getting into how to construct your own sentences or anything like that. You're just doing regurgitation. Um, so I was—I wanted to take that approach, but that really meant that the students had to go home and do this stuff on their own. Uh, and so I bought, a, bought myself a bunch of time by giving them um, these take-home assignments that uh, that didn't have anything to do with writing code or anything. And um, I guess by the by the time that I by the time that I got about halfway through the deck for the first course, leading up to the first course. Um, I ran across a tool, an online tool called Cloud9 IDE. It's uh, at Cloud9 ID or uh, c9.io um, on the internets. And uh, there are like five or six different competing services or similar services, uh, coding with a K, um, uh, nitrous.io, uh, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and I was really looking for it. Was, it was, it kind of came back from everything we were doing with the Coding Dojo, we really wanted something that was a uh, get-started-fast online editor um, that the, the students could use instead of having to set up Apache and all the rest of that junk uh, and get past that two-week comp really quickly. Uh turns out Cloud9 has great GitHub integration. It, you know, you sign in with GitHub, and it'll link to your GitHub repos and all that stuff. And I was planning to use GitHub for the, for the class, uh and uh, that's that's what i end up using for my um uh for the first day of class we sign up for a github account if you don't already have one and if you do already have one what are you doing in my intro to uh programming class but uh sign up for a github account and then immediately sign up for a cloud nine account with your github account and uh then he will walk through the github interface or the uh, cloud nine interface we walk through the github interface so i show you what you can do in both Uh, We clone, a uh, fork a repo from uh, some open source project, clone that down into cloud nine. Here's how you edit some files. Uh, You can make a commit against your own local repo. Here's how you push that into GitHub and just spend the first day on that. And then after that, every class, I do a little bit of reinforcement, um, reminding them about the magical incantations that they need to know in order to um, get add, get commit, get push. Uh, but after that, they're they're doing, using that using GitHub to um, to submit their assignments, and they're using Cloud Nine to edit files. So by the time we get to the um, coding dojo, by the time they're actually writing code, which, uh, that's the second half of the the class, around class eight or nine, depending on like spring break and stuff. Uh, they're very familiar with Cloud Nine with an online editor. They're very familiar with like just you have a button to push that will run your PHP code in CLI mode. Uh, and, and they're very familiar with GitHub and, and committing and, and pushing. And we just, uh, add the staple on the rules of the coding dojo and do coding dojos for the second half of the, of the course.
1: That sounds crazy.
2: It is crazy talk.
1: Yeah, really. Um, That sounds, so uh, how do you gate? like what? Okay. So have you finished teaching a semester of this yet?
2: Uh, we're actually on semester five.
1: Okay. So yes, it sounds like, yeah.
2: And, uh, we've, we've had some adjuncts besides myself teach both the server side and client side course based on my decks.
1: Right. So what would, um, what kinds of feedback have you gotten from students on this?
2: It has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the first couple semesters that I taught were mostly students that came from, uh, you know, it's a community college, right? So you would it, it's exactly what you would expect out of a community college. They have, a, uh, and, and I'm in the arts and entertainment department as well, strangely enough. Uh, the arts and entertainment department at Valencia has their digital media technology uh, degrees, and all of those degrees are the mixture of AA and AS degrees. So ours is an AS degree in uh, Associates of Science in web development, in digital media technologies, in the arts and entertainment uh, department. And, you know, the other the other degrees in the program are in the digital media technology program are like, you know, videography and web design and very, you know, very visual arts. Uh, here's how you become a Photoshop ninja uh, type programs. So a lot of my students from the first two semesters were familiar with JavaScript from their fundamentals of the web class, their web essentials class, where they, they knew that they could put a script tag into a page and uh and copy and paste some stuff from the internet and twiddle with it to make it work, but they had no idea how any of that stuff worked. Uh or or that maybe they had done something that worked with somebody that had worked with WordPress and they knew how to drop some CSS on a WordPress theme and it would just work. But as for the uh like the behind the scenes, they were they were clueless they, they had no idea how programming worked um, and some of them were even um you know professionals from that had been working in the uh, in the industry as designers or uh <coughs> excuse me working for designers for years at a time uh, and they gave me the best positive feedback i think out of the out of the group um, they really felt like uh getting their hands in the code eight weeks into the course helped them more than anything else to uh, to grasp the concepts that we were talking about in class. Uh, even the assignments that we did uh, leading up to that, where they were reading the code and they were getting familiar with code and understanding the bits and pieces of code, um, but they weren't actually having to write code themselves. Uh, the, yeah, the the overwhelming response has been extremely positive. And I've even had some students go on, you know, to, to land entry-level positions after just one semester of a course, uh, which is terrific. You know, that's, that's the goal, right? Is to get people jobs uh, and, and build their, their confidence and competence in programming uh, and specifically web
0: programming. I'm curious about like how you even teach someone uh, who's never done any programming. Um, just the concepts of like how you actually build a web page and all the stuff uh, involved with it. Because I think of if I had to break down to like even trying to explain to my kids um, what I do, other than like you sit down in your office and you yell at people on Twitter is what they seem to think my job is, which is probably a portion of it is that. But just trying to explain to them um, how to someone that hasn't done any programming, how uh, how this works, how you put things together. Because I've, I've explained to my wife uh, a few times, and um, I got the hand-wavy thing from her saying, I don't want to know anymore. Um, so I'm kind of interested, like, are there, have you found there's some common concepts that when you're teaching people, web programming specifically, some common concepts they they stumble on? Um, or is it really all over the place? That's, some people pick up certain portions of the uh of the required mindset and skill set easily or do you find there's really a few things that seems to trip people up
2: um well i th- i think that the yeah it's all over the place from my experience the, the last 4 or 5 semesters have taught me that um you never know what a student is going to throw at you what a student is going to trip on uh something that seems so simple uh turns out to be really complicated when you get into it one of the things that I I do in my courses um, and that I've I've done with the curriculum as a whole is to kind of isolate things at first. So Valencia already had a really good uh, web essentials uh, course, uh, DIG 2100 or something like that, uh, that just taught HTML and CSS. And at the very end they said, and you can do some JavaScript here, here I'll show you some jQuery. But for the most part it was HTML and CSS uh, so the students, uh, that's not a prerequisite for uh, for my course, but it's a like a co-requisite. Um, they're expected to, te- to take that course before they get much further. With that in mind, for the intro level courses, intro to programming with PHP, intro to programming with JavaScript, I have stepped back and said, we're not going to learn anything about HTML and CSS. We're not going to have any sort of, um, we're not going to touch the DOM. We're not going to output HTML um, that'll come in this, in the advanced class, uh, so there's a two there's I should mention that there's, there's um, two, two courses in each of those tracks. there's an intro to PHP and an intro to JavaScript, and an advanced PHP and an advanced JavaScript. the same way there's an intro to like Web Essentials, the uh, intro to HTML CSS and an advanced uh, Web Essentials or advanced HTML and CSS po- focusing on like HTML5 type tags and that sort of thing. Uh, and that, that really lets me focus just on programming. My goal in Intro to Programming with BHP is I need to teach you how to program. I need to teach you enough computer science that you understand programming, not I need to teach you how to build a website necessarily. Uh, if if you already know how this stuff or can figure out how this stuff goes together on your own, then by the time you're done with that intro course, maybe you can move on to like you know basic WordPress templating or something like that um but the second course the advanced course is designed more to be about web application development uh, advanced php course teaches uh, uh test driven development with php unit and uh building web apps with um with common frameworks like I, uh, i've got slim php on the list cuz it's the dead simplest uh php framework that i can possibly teach and maybe eventually getting up to Laravel or Zend. Uh, if Zend would like to kick me some money, or the Laravel, uh, or, or the guys at Laravel would like to kick me some money to <laughs> pitch their project, I don't have a I don't have a bias one way or another. But I could be biased. Uh, the you know the advanced JavaScript course teaches an int- it's int- it, uh, teaches QUnit and jQuery, and then ultimately gets into um, uh, Angular JS or some other similar MVC type framework. Ultimately, gets into Angular JS and test driven development with a uh, uh, with uh, Jasmine BDD that sort of thing. Um, and I haven't had a chance to run those courses yet. I've got them outlined. I've got them, I've got them planned, but I haven't had a chance to run those courses. Being five semesters in, we've graduated a number of students, but we really haven't graduated enough students that we can feed into those advanced courses yet. Uh, but you know, that's kind of the plan, like section it off. We're just learning about programming. We're just teaching programming and computer science in the first, <laughs> just teach computer science in the intro classes uh, and save the integration with your with HTML and CSS. We'll worry about how to build web pages in the advanced class. And I want to teach you how to build, you know, web applications really more so than uh, than websites. Right. But, uh, part of it will be in there, right? Uh, uh, we'll teach you the HTML and CSS, tying it in with your HTML and CSS course. After we get you through the intro course, I just want you to understand the basic computer science concepts, you know, branching logic and, uh, and looping logic. And, uh, what is a freaking variable, right? How does that work? Uh, what are the different, what, what is a type? What does that mean in computer science? And, uh, you eventually build up to, you know, stacks and queues and, uh, and uh, and all that stuff. And we'll, when we get to the coding dojos, our focus is entirely on uh, console line input uh, input output. It, we don't even we don't build Repl. We don't build um, interactive programs. I do show them how to like use the Repl so that they can tinker around with their programs or or um, or uh, ask PHP questions. Um, but I, I don't get into that. Uh, we just do console line. We don't output HTML. We just you know, run the program on the console, have the output, does, do the tests pass or fail. And, and to that extent, in PHP, we don't even get into, like, PHP unit. I just start with basic assert, with the assert function that's built into, the, into practically every language since the 70s, right? Same thing with, um, with JavaScript. I teach JavaScript on the console and the command line using Node.js. And when we get to decoding um, uh, dojo, we use the assert module. And just do basic assert statements.
1: I seriously didn't. I didn't even know that assert was actually a PHP function. What oh, does yeah. that tell oh, you about yeah. me? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If you if you look at P, if you look at PHP uh, unit source code, which I have a few times to try to figure out why something wasn't behaving the way that I expected it. Yeah, a lot of those assertion methods inside PHP unit are just simply wrappers around assert. Um com- right, convenience yeah. methods you could you could write all these things with the with just this assert and uh, um, write your own um you know boolean statement inside the brackets, but just convenience i mean little helpers to cut down on the amount of work you have to do yourself i guess um uh, so i so I find it very interesting that you, that you're teaching testing um right from the beginning. Um, because really my experience has been that testing is like the last thing that developers ever learn how to do. Uh, well, I mean like formal I guess formalized, like automated testing, the ability to write a script that's a test that you can run over and over again, which is kind of how I'm starting to describe, um, unit testing and things like that to people. Um, uh, what's the uptake been from your students on the whole concept of writing tests that go with, uh, with the code?
2: Um, yeah, I, I've, I've had some people struggle with the idea in the first 30 minutes of my explanation, but, uh, you know, the, the analogy that I use is, is that we're, when you're building a program and I, I reinforce this throughout the first half of the course, we're we're building a program, we're building a robot, right. And, uh, the robot will do something for us, but how do we know that the robot actually does what we want the robot to do? It would be great if we could you know, systematically test the robot as we build it, and, we'll, and since that that system that that uh, procedure of well, okay, you know, ask the robot can he make toast or whatever. Uh, the the robot should be able to make toast. Well, what would we do for should the robot make toast? Well, can the robot accept bread? Uh, can the you know does the robot have a slider? Does the robot have a make toast button? You know, uh, we could do that every time manually, and there are people who have. Uh, jobs, that that's, that's their job, is to manually uh, execute those steps. But if the goal of building the robot in the first place is to automate some sort of manual process, I, I reinforce that throughout the course as well, that the point of building these robots is to is to automate some sort of manual process, why wouldn't we also build a robot that would automate the manual process of testing the robot that automates our manual process, and then you build another robot that tests the robot that tests the robot, and then you have Inception.
1: that's funny uh i'm 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 uh desperately trying hard not to uh start talking about how i feel about unit testing frameworks um but i'm in the middle of reworking stuff where i'm having to write tests for my unit testing framework and uh it's it's not easy who tests the testers that's always the question right i i know i should have called it the watchman or something like that (laughs)
2: So uh, at kind, are you guys still using um, lithium, one of your your products of choice back in the day?
1: Um, No, we built our first thing on lithium, and then we did a rewrite, and and that doesn't mean we don't like lithium. That just means we went in a different direction on it. Um, I still think lithium is a good choice for a lot of people. Um, We have used for all of our PHP products, or yeah, our PHP-based projects, uh, we've used slim almost exclusively and then added on components with that. Um, so like the current thing that we're using is we're using slim and we're using, um, the, uh, Aura SQL, uh, stuff, which is really just a light wrapper around PDO that adds up uh, some convenient stuff to it. Um, and, uh, let's see what else. Um, we're using uh Valitron to do validation, which is a thing that, oh, shoot, why can't I think of that guy's name? Oh, Vance Lucas wrote. Um, and uh I'm trying to think of other stuff that we've used. I have to look at my composer file. Um But it's a bunch of stuff that some of it you might have heard of and some of it you haven't because we we kind of intentionally, we really want to use stuff that's low in terms of technical debt. So, like, we're not gonna pull in, like, oh, let's just use doctrine for our database stuff. You know, we just don't wanna do that because we don't want to pull in all those things. Um, and that has pluses and minuses to it, but that's a whole other philosophy thing that we can get into. Um, but for the unit testing stuff, we actually use this thing that I, I, I wrote most of it, but, um, called FUnit that, um, uh, it's basically a really, really, really lightweight testing framework. Um, and it has pluses and minuses. I'm not sure that, you know, it would be the choice for everybody, but, um, it's something that I think is really easy to start writing tests with compared to, say, like PHP unit. Um, for like somebody who's never done it before. And I was very much coming from that perspective when I was starting to work on it, or at least I was very, it was, I was just a little bit out and I didn't, it was just the, all the setup stuff with, with PHP unit I found intimidating and i felt i thought that the learning curve was really high but that's a whole debate for a whole other whole other podcast actually um, i don't know and no. we can
0: talk about that real quick sure um like part of me is not happy that you chose that you that you part of me is not happy that you felt the need to write your own um testing framework i certainly understand yeah i, I understand why people do that sort of thing across all sorts of other um, not just testing, but over all sorts of other things where the existing tools, okay, there's, there's two, to me, there's like two, um, two bins you put this stuff into you, where you look at an existing tool and it's not doing what you want it to do. So there's the one bin where you're like, okay, I'm going to write my own that does everything exactly the way that I want, or I'm going to modify an existing tool to do the things that I want. There right. are definitely benefits to both, um, Right. And sometimes it's like, sometimes it's very helpful to write your own tool. Um, so you actually understand, um, to use a overwrought cliche, cliche, um, how the sausage is made. So there's some, there's some advantages to like you do one of these things so you can learn how to do it. But on the other hand, um, I th- my personal opinion is always try to find a tool that's doing the thing that you want and extend that tool to support the cases that you need because then, then a if you take an established project then a much wider group of people get the benefit from your work if you're willing to share it.
1: Yeah, I, I, go ahead, Al.
2: Uh, sorry, I, I, was, <laughs> I was just saying I completely agree with you, Chris. We we um, I did a rather large project with lithium and not to bang on lithium because I I love lithium. In fact, it's, you know, it's my, probably my favorite um, PHP full stack framework uh, at this point, just from the aspect oriented stuff that Nate put in there. But uh, there was, there was that moment where we got about, we we got several tests deep into the lithium test suite. It was was a non-trivial part of that um, uh, point in the development. And uh, (coughs) we realized that the, roll your own unit testing framework that was baked into lithium was just, you know, was not cutting it. Uh, there was some, there were some things that we, w- we wanted to do that we needed to do with, uh, the PHP unit did really well. And the, some of the people that, um, that were on the project already knew PHP unit way better than they knew. than that, you know, there was, it was painful to try to learn yet another testing framework. Uh, and so we, we took the time, me and the other senior on the project took the time to, um, to retrofit PHP unit back into the process and, um, and and built it out, extended it so that it was uh, lithium friendly. There was a lithium Li3 command uh, for a PHP unit um, so that we could run all the tests that way. And it hooked into the um, the way that lithium handles dependencies and that sort of thing. And it was a little painful, but I think ultimately it was a better decision to use that wheel, even though it was a you know really big one and you know it's probably like you know stapling a tank onto the onto the wagon that we're building but um i I think that ultimately was a good decision and it was uh it was better the project was better because we were able to get people to speed faster as we as we brought them in on the project they're like just go read the docs on hp unit and there's like a billion screencasts and blog posts and stuff about how to do stuff and uh if we, come up with a, if we come up with something that we really need um, the lithium testing framework to do, we'll dig into it and uh, extend it appropriately. But for now, we're just going to use the We're, just gonna use PHP. we're probably going to do that.
1: Yeah, I would say that it sounds like you did the appropriate thing for your project. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that, you know, doing web development is, for the most part, entirely pragmatic. And, uh, or maybe engineering on a whole needs to be entirely pragmatic. Uh, and, and, and I think that, um, especially when you mentioned that you had some people who already had PHP unit, you know, experience on your team, uh, if that were the case on the, on the team that we have, um, that would have been a very different situation. um, we did not have it and we have just an internal strong bias against really complex stuff, like pulling very complex things in. And so we're, uh, so, you know, we're nervous about technical debt. And at the time that I assessed, you know, this, when I was looking at these things, uh, there were a couple other options, but none of them struck me as particularly easy to use. Like, or what I should say is I, none of them struck me as particularly lightweight. I wanted something where I could just be like, here's a test. Here's a test. Here's a test. And now write, um, and then run that script that I just wrote in PHP. And it should spit out some output. Uh, And, um, that's exactly what, what F unit does. Uh, so it's very, very, very stripped down and, and you, it it makes it really, really, really easy to start writing tests because if you can write PHP, you can write it. You don't, there's the learning curve is very, very shallow. So, and that, that, and so there's, so that was what I was trying to do when I set out with it, but really I was just making it kind of a personal tool. Um, and the, the other thing is, I think I actually did get a lot out of just, of, of, I I think I learned a ton, uh, by writing it. So I don't, I don't regret it even if nobody else ever uses it. Right. Um, and I think that's really cool. Uh, just from that standpoint that I feel like I understand a lot better. Like what are some of the things that go into it? I understand testing better, a lot better because of what I'm doing. Um, but, um, You know, I, I, my feeling is that I just think that I think what I did was I compared it to, uh, some things that I saw, like when I was looking at Python testing and things like that. And Python has some built in, uh, unit has a built in unit testing, uh, at least some capability in the standard library. And, um, I guess what it really doesn't have is like nice reporting and like a test runner and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, that's what we use. Um, but I just like the fact that even the, the language itself has some stuff that's built in there and it's not, it, 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 it's not overly complex. And I, I guess what I feel like when I see, when I see PHP unit, what I see is the equivalent of say a Zen framework or Ruby on rails or something like that. That's for unit testing that tries to, uh, that, intentionally because of what it's trying to do it is full stack in terms of testing right um and it tries to cover as many possible situations as it can and so as a consequence it's going to grow complex and hard and uh it's going to not be easy for somebody who doesn't have any experience with it to just pick up and, and write a test right away and that's kind of my that's kind of my personal beef with it i think you should use whatever makes sense to you and i think for some people it's going to you know something like i wrote or there's other things there's like a thing called testify which seemed like a nice little like micro framework for doing unit testing um which i don't think existed when i started doing my stuff but i took a break from it now i'm kind of back into it so i've seen a couple other things that look pretty good um i understand the concern about uh darn uh i understand the concern about uh not wanting to uh use something you you, like you kind of want somebody everybody to be using the same thing just because it it gets to be easier then you don't have to this thing is like well which unit frame testing frame program are you going to decide and then all those choices make it harder to actually just start doing it um i guess my concern is like if the only choices that are available are like really Heavy projects, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that's really the best approach. I think that you should have simple, uh, solutions first to solve simple problems. And then, uh, if you want to bring in more complex things built on top of that, that solve particular, what I would call kind of Ed Casey things, uh, then I think that, uh, those things have a lot of merit too. I just wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be how I'd start out. Um, but I could entirely see somebody, if they ever chose to check out FUnit because they just wanted to learn, like, how to write a few tests, they could do that. And then they get to a point where it's like, well, I wish it did this. And then they find some other framework that does that. And then they switch out to something else. And that totally makes sense to me. If they're going to find some other tool that works better for them in a particular situation, they should. Um, and they should use that. My intent is really to have something that's just a simple tool to use and, uh, and, and, and just gets people writing tests a little bit easier because I'm like that. I'm really lazy and I didn't want to spend, you know, a few hours figuring out how to set it up for my project. I just wanted to start writing stuff.
2: I can totally get behind that. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not totally looking forward to the day when I'm, I'm teaching these guys that came out of my intro class. Okay. So remember all that nice, clean assert stuff that we did last semester, uh, you're ready for the you're ready for the rain here, boys, because uh, we've got to we're going to go install PHP Unit and all that type of stuff. I've I've had difficulty trying to get PHP Unit um, running. Uh, let's let's say succinctly in a couple steps on Cloud Nine IDE because of the uh, the bulk of it and uh, coming from working with Python and um, Node Unit in uh, in Node JS uh, and even you know Unit tests in Ruby. Ruby has a built in um, Module as well that most people don't ever use. Sadly, um, those tools are like you said; they're just enough, right? They're they're just heavy enough to give you uh, uh, individual uh, to give you a test case, to give you a test suite, to give you a simple test runner. And you know like Python, uh, Node Nose comes along and and uh, extends that a little bit and allows you to be a little more flexible with your tests and and write more flexible tests that don't have to do with the um, unit you know, test framework. And uh, what what I what I really love about uh, Python is the doc test framework. If you've played around with that,
1: oh yeah, I have seen that. That was pretty cool.
2: So every um, every def, every function, uh, and class, and everything else in Python has a property bound to it that is the uh, documentation immediately after the def statement or at, right after the class statement, um, and that actually follows the object. And some smart fellow in the Python community years ago wrote a uh, a simple syntax for running tests out of that documentation. So it becomes, you know, the, the dream of self-documenting code, right? As long as that's your tests, as the documentation is your tests. And here's my examples of using the the class or using the function, as long as that's up to date and accurate uh, compared to my, to my code, which, you know, if I'm writing test driven and it should be, um, I have documented my code in such a way that someone else could come along and use it. I've got all these examples right there in the code, uh, and, and the Python interpreter. I can even ask for help on that particular function or class, and it will give me that doc block uh, as the as the uh, like a man page in the command line, uh, which I think is terrific. We should totally steal that and put it in PHP tomorrow.
1: I think you can you can sort can you sort of do that with PHP Unit? I seem to remember a few years back messing around with a thing where you could define simple assertions in the doc blocks.
2: Yeah, the, with the annotations and stuff, but yeah, that doesn't really get in. I mean, that doesn't really get into the um you know, the same level of of documentation. Yeah,
0: some some people right. have written PHP Unit extensions. Um, And add-ons that um, use annotations, like I know Etsy has done a bunch of those to deal with making. um, If you need to test uh, protected and private um, uh, methods that belong to a class, they can basically it scans the doc block and then um, internally uses reflection API to turn to you make a copy and you turn the visibility uh, of that. of that method public so that it can be tested. I had a humongous discussion with people at work about, um, whether or not you should test protected and private methods, but, uh, I'm firmly in the, you test the public ones. And if you've written your code, probably all your private methods, private and protected methods will be, um, will be tested simply because it's such a pain in the ass to manipulate the code in order to, in order just to, to test it. When I think of all the steps you have to go through or the helper code that you have to write, um, to turn something protected um, public, it's to, in my mind it's not worth the effort. You have there's all, so much other things you need to do rather than fucking around making things um, public visibly. You know, for just for testing purposes.
1: Yes, yes it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
2: I mean, that's a whole other rabbit trail, right? About uh, oh yeah, test and and where do you slice and where's where's public versus private? Where does that stuff go? Uh, I, think- I don't teach my kids any of that or kids. I call them kids. I had one guy in my class, my first semester who was old enough to be my dad. Uh, oh, he nice. probably actually worked with my dad at one point in time, somewhere uh, back in the day, you know, and uh, at the end of the class, he came to me and he said, uh, he handed me this card. He says, do you know what this is? I looked at it and I was like, oh, I can kind of guess. Why don't you tell me the story uh, of Mr. Miyagi? And uh, yeah. he, uh, he used to work on the IBM systems and that was a punch card that he kept. He had a giant, box of punch cards that he kept, and uh, he, he saves those to give to people when they when, you know, when, he, when he feels like he, they've, they've really done something uh, for his career. And he was retraining out of COBOL and into PHP, and not only did uh, he, uh, he successfully acquire PHP as a language, but there was a company in town that was trying to bridge a COBOL system and with a, with a PHP system that uh, they were developing in Zen Framework. I made the introductions to that uh, to that guy. I, I think I think he's on there right now. I don't, I don't know. I have to I have to check back with him. It's been a couple semesters.
1: Wow, that's cool. Do you think that? Do you think, Net? I know that. part of this is probably because of the the format that you guys are doing with that coder dojo stuff. Um, I can kind of dig the test driven development stuff. I think that being able to uh, uh sit next to somebody and work on projects, I think, is really important. Um. At the same time, I sort of like, do you feel that pair is absolutely like a huge essential pairing is a, a huge essential part of the way that you teach? Or is it like something where I guess what I'm getting at is like, what if you choose not to do that? Can you still teach people this stuff? I think the answer is probably yes, but I'd be interested to hear like what advantages you think people are getting out of that out of learning, you know, that's in in the learning process.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I built that in and, and Carlos and I agreed on that wholeheartedly being both coding dojo guys, right? Uh, we, we built that into the curriculum at Valencia uh, pair programming. I, I believe is the single best way to advance the skills of juniors and novices up to the, you know, we look at the Dreyfus scale up to um, advanced beginners and competence and eventually proficiency, uh, uh, an expert pairing with, um, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's numerous studies on this. There was a great study that one of my guys brought up to me on, on that big project I was telling you about with lithium brought up to me. Um, uh, that was conducted pairing expert level students or fourth, they were like fourth year and grad students in computer science with, uh, first and second year computer science students and performing pairing exercises with, you know, like with, uh, with different pairings, so expert and expert and expert and novice, and uh, expert and mid-level, mid-level and novice, mid-level and mid-level, novice and novice. And, you know, what they found is that over the assignment, they gave them multiple assignments, of course, to, um, to execute, and they randomized the pairs so they had uh, a decent statistical, statistical sampling. And uh, what they found is that two experts pairing together is like a horrible idea. Uh, the, two ec- two experts don't like they don't uh, they are not able to articulate necessarily why it is they're doing something and they've got their own uh idiosyncrasies and 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 that sort of thing that they they may even overthink the problem i know that's never happened uh in certainly not on a paid production project <laughs> they may overthink the problem together you know two brains actually equals 15 brains in that case and they they think about too many of the edge cases and they they screw themselves in their implementation uh, two novices also suck together uh because they have no idea where to go they don't they don't they don't know how to make the logical jumps beyond uh I think we need an if statement here don't you think we need an if statement I think we should we should definitely write an if statement so what goes in the if statement I think we need parentheses yes yes you know the, you know, the guy the the lector behind the scenes is you know face palming um and two mid levels actually do pretty pretty well together because they they feed off one they know enough of the rules individually that they can continue to follow the rules and hold each other to the rules. Uh, uh, but they, they don't know enough of how they can break, you know, like when some, when somebody, when one of them starts to break the rules or, or work outside of the, or outside the lines, the other one either reins him in or reaches some new level of understanding together. And then the, the odd pairings like expert and complete novice also totally don't work together because as far as the novice is concerned, the expert is doing voodoo magic. Uh, there's no way that he could possibly understand what the expert just typed into the console. uh, And it's totally worthless for him. And then when the novice gets into pair and start programming, the expert is like, just do this, just do this. No, no, no. Why can't you type faster? You know, it gets very impatient with him um, very quickly, very easily. uh, And, and isn't able to articulate why the novice needs to do what he needs to do. Um, uh, So that doesn't, that doesn't work out really well either, but advanced or the the intermediate with a novice they found brings the novice up to intermediate level a lot faster than the novice would get on their own. An expert with an intermediate gets the intermediate up to expert level a lot faster than they would on their own. And they actually produce more correct solutions. They actually are able to solve the problems more correctly in less time and with more efficient code. Uh, the expert in advance and the advanced and the, um, and the novice it was a great study and I will I'll have to find the link and, and add it to the show notes uh, with you guys but uh, uh, I, I strongly believe in pair programming and that's a, a core aspect of the course at the same time I, I tell the students right up front i 'm teaching you how to do pair programming and uh, I want you to know that when you get into the field especially in PHP and JavaScript and web development, um, this isn't something that you're going to see as a part of the natural culture. You're generally, I mean, people want Han Solo guys uh, all the time. They want someone that can fly the Millennium Falcon through the, the field of black holes by themselves. Um, but I'm going to teach you how to, le- how to lean on Chewbacca. And uh, uh, you will have assignments in the class that don't involve pairing. In fact, that's like every, every week they have assignments that they're supposed to take home and do on their own. Even when we're doing the coding dojos, they're supposed to take the dojo home and do the dojo themselves on their own, uh, solo, uh, to, so they, they understand they get the the reinforcement, they get the practice themselves. They, they're, they're their own worst enemy at that point in time. And I, 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 you know, tell them straight up, just do your 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is, whatever you're going to do a day. And when you're done with your 30 minutes, Submit the file, push the file, and then delete the file and start over the next day. And, you know, start from scratch and see if you can get all the way through the exercise after the two or three weeks that we're going to spend on that particular exercise. So I, I do strongly believe in the value of pair programming, and I have a lot of in-class pairing ex- exercises. Um, and being a community organizer, of course, I also strongly believe in and recommend to my students, I give extra credit for students that, that go to community events, They go to... Uh, the PHP user group that go to the JavaScript user group that attend to any user group for that matter, that just get connected to the community, go to a conference and you'll get a uh, get extra points and that sort of thing. Um, just to reinforce to them that even though your individual assignment might be, uh, I have to fi- fix this in X number of hours by myself. It's not me by myself all the time. I may not have, Um, I may not have somebody sitting next to me, helping me program. I may not be doing pair programming, but there's still more people than me on my team. And there's more people than me in the world.
1: Oh, I think I muted myself when I was about to talk, but I was going to say that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I think that, uh, it's interesting because that study sort of, some of it, it must be true because it sounds right to me, but, um, which is not uh, the way things actually work. But I think that, uh, my experience has been been very much that, that like, uh, that expert expert thing or expert novice thing can be really, really difficult. And I will never admit to say having gotten all frustrated, uh, with my, uh, spouse trying to teach her how to do something like coding and, uh, and then been like, well, why would you? And then I turn into a total dick like that. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so you should totally find that link. Um, one thing that I thought we ought to, uh, I thought we ought to, uh, wrap up here because we've been here going a little bit long, but, uh, David Shafiq asked a cool question, which I thought was kind of interesting. We were talking about, uh, PHP and teaching people PHP. And I thought that was kind of, this this is a cool question. I thought he said was, he said, what, um, say up to three lines of code would you use to excite a non-programmer about learning PHP? And then you had a follow-up about what about less than 10, like up, up to 10. Um I was thinking about that and I was thinking in three lines, I think the ability to take input uh from the browser, um, like to just type something into the address and have it display in the web page, I think would be pretty cool. Um, of course, uh, well, I guess with the filter API, I could probably make it secure too. Like, I, because I'd be thinking to myself, I'd be directly accessing uh, like the get variable, like the super global, and I'd be that. Uh, of course, the security side of me is like, why? That's a horrible, horrible thing to teach people. <laughs> but, um, but I think that that would probably be something I would do. Yeah, with three I, lines I, of code.
0: I w- yeah, I would have to agree with you, Ed. I think in in like under ten lines of code, you could definitely show someone. Um, I can type this long string into the address bar on your browser. You know the script that we're going to run a question mark and then a couple of pairs of things where this value equals this other value and have it show up in the browser. I think that would probably impress people. Yeah, be- beginners to pro- beginners to web programming. Anyway,
1: I was thinking in ten lines. Let you know ten lines. You could. I'm pretty sure you could write something. You'd have to be a little bit efficient about it. That would like search a file. Um, it's, I think it'd be kind of cheating to set up a database ahead of time I mean, you could do with a database, but, um, but that could ser- like based on user input could search and retrieve information and then output it to the browser. I mean, which is obviously what a lot of people, that's exactly what PHP does probably 90% of the time. Um, and I think that you could do that really fast in like just a few lines of code and there's stuff built in to do things like parsing CSV files and parsing, you know, all sorts of different crap like that that you could do that, you know, even if it was just a text document, like, okay, search this text document and find the place where it's, you know, talks about, uh, Texas or something like that. Right. Um, that you could totally do that. And you could do that in less than 10 lines of code. I'm pretty sure you could do that. And, uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. And I think that would, that would show some things, uh, off that would be pretty neat. Uh, somebody made a joke. I can't remember this guy's name, but I see Kevin Boyd. (laughs) <laughs> yeah Kevin Boyd and he said uh, to demonstrate the pa- awesome power of me I recommend uh, eval request uh, and then co- the code uh, thing so you take out of the request variables to eval which probably is funnier be- when you actually read it um, because I don't know re- get, like speaking code out loud is never going to work so that was a terrible idea I shouldn't even try to say it but anyway that was kind of funny Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, so those are probably the things that I would do, but, um, I think it's really cool, uh, L David Rogers that, um, you have, that, that you've had such success with it. So I think that's really cool. And I think that, uh, I hope that you'll keep talking about it. Um, because I think I'd want to keep reading about like, what's been your success in terms of like teaching people, PHP, especially people who haven't had any experience with it. Um, I think the other thing too is like, I want to learn more about teaching it outside it. Like, there's one thing if you teach it inside of it, there's pluses and minuses of teaching inside of an academic like framework, like doing it as a college course, as opposed to just doing it as a sort of a, a semi-formal or not or completely informal, uh, sort of, uh, thing, uh, where you just get together with people and, and like, say, Hey, we all kind of want to learn how to do this. So how do you do that? Right. I, I want to learn more about that too, but I would bet a lot of what you're doing is applicable. It's just in those kind of cases, it's going to be a lot less structured and people aren't like, well, I'm paying money for this. So I'm definitely going to need to pay attention to what this guy says and stick to it. You know what I mean? That kind of pushes people through like the stuff where they're kind of like, this is a little bit boring, but I'm going to you know, like power through it. Um, because they're like, I'm putting money into this, so I'm not going to make it go be a complete waste. Um, so, anyway. No, the, but I think this is really interesting. I think you're doing really, really amazing stuff. So please, in the, I hope that, uh, in the links, make sure to include like links to what you've been working on. Cause I really want to, want to make sure to share that with people.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, along those lines, um, Carlos and I are, are going to, are going to, uh, RailsConf this year. Um, uh, and, uh, the, the, the presentation we're giving at RailsConf is the Coding Dojo. It's a workshop where we're uh, getting Rails developers and a lot of newbies there at, um, at RailsConf this year. Uh, we're, we're doing that as an experiment to start uh, pimping that at some other conferences, at other open source conferences. So coming soon to a PHP conference near you, uh, join the Coding Dojo, learn the rules of the Coding Dojo, and take that back to your own city and do that stuff. Uh, make your own Coding Dojo group, totally.
1: That sounds really cool. That's that's great. I can't wait to hear more about it. Awesome. You got anything more, Chris?
0: I think we pretty much covered what uh, – the only thing I guess we could talk real quick because I know my boy, Matt Frost, asked a quick question, so maybe we can answer this in under five minutes. He talked about – he said uh, how the – how and this would probably be more aimed at David, the experience of teaching complete beginners to programming as opposed to people with maybe a few years of experience, what that's like – Um, I, my personal thoughts on this would be, it's probably easier to introduce weird concepts to beginners because anyone with a few years of programming experience probably already has both, uh, both a set of ridiculously bad habits and number two, um, already getting very, uh, very stuck in their ways on how certain problems are solved.
2: Yeah. So, um, I've got some experience, like in my business, uh, I've been a freelance developer for a number of years and we will, we will omit the number because I'm feeling old. Um, most of my successful projects over the last couple of years have been more of those um, of mentoring type projects where I come in with maybe another senior consultant and we teach the team how to, how to write tests, how to use uh, source control properly uh, proper architecture design patterns, um, you know, senior senior level stuff, right? Where we know that this is a team of juniors or maybe mid level folks, and we're coming in as seniors to teach them. So I've had some experience with it professionally as well as uh, you know, academic in the academic setting. We've got some students that come in with absolutely no programming experience whatsoever. I've, I've had you know students that have um, some programming experience. They've been to they've been through the computer science courses at the college or at another college and they're coming in to learn this web stuff. Uh, and then I've got some folks like you know the, the uh, guy from my example earlier that had been a COBOL programmer for 20-plus years, uh, procedural OMG. And as a part of the course, I do teach object orientation, how to write uh, object-oriented code. Um, not, not a great deal of depth. I saved that for the advanced course, but at least in PHP. I can't get around it in JavaScript. But uh, uh, it it has been it has been challenging at times to like uh overwrite their internal programming right to to get out of their bad habits but i i also find that um the way that the dojo works it, 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 there's always something completely new for these folks i haven't really run into anybody that's uh especially in php and javascript uh and come or coming out of a computer science background i haven't really found anybody that has bad testing habits. Um, And those I find are the most difficult to overcome. Uh, When I'm introducing them to uh, test-driven development in my courses, uh, that's a completely new concept to them for the most part, or they might have seen it once or twice before. And depending on their skill level, they might choose to slice the, the unit in the wrong place, or they might not be thinking small enough. And in in doing the coding dojo and doing uh, work professionally, I get people who have a wide range of skill in programming for the web, as well as writing tests and writing automated tests. Uh, People who have tried testing or uh, who know how to write code very well without tests and have written production systems. And those guys are, those guys are definitely more challenging to teach than, Uh, especially the the testing concepts, to to unwire their bad testing habits than it is to wire somebody's uh, testing habits uh, a new way. But you find that with everything. That's why uh, Google and Microsoft and Facebook like hiring people straight out of college is because they're they're blank slates for the most part, Uh, and they don't like hiring people like me that have been doing this for 10-plus years and may have strong opinions, uh, perhaps influenced by the people on this podcast. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, we're influencers.
0: No no no, no Ed, we're we're thought leaders. Yeah. Right. Well, like
1: thought leader.
2: Contrary to popular belief, you do not actually have to have thoughts to be a
0: thought leader. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Hey Chris, uh yeah, you think we should wrap up here?
0: I think we should wrap up. I think we've covered everything we want to talk about tonight. This this is actually a rather um longer episode. We're like at an hour twenty.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was good stuff. This is really good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, David. I got your name right. Awesome. I know, right. Um Better late than never, Ed. Yeah, better late. Yeah, I only had to say it like six or seven times. Um yeah, so thanks so much for coming on and talking with us about this. I think this is really cool.
0: No, I I I, appreciate- I, I, I think it has also um helped reinforce a few things for me, uh, in terms of like when I have to teach people stuff, um, to pull the focus back a little bit more high level and, and Try not to assume so much about the skill level of the people who are reading my books and looking at my videos and then maybe down the road uh, taking courses from me and stuff, just trying to make them understand that a lot of stuff that I take for granted um, is clearly things that other people um, um, probably don't have as firm a grasp with. It's, it's, easy, it's easy to forget what you know and, uh, and also to forget how you learn those concepts.
2: Absolutely, and that's a skill by itself, being able to go i I, I banged my head against that for uh, hours building my presentations, just going back to really what does what would somebody need to know if they really knew nothing about this PHP thing
0: so with that last little bit from uh, Mr. Uh, Rogers, <laughs> I've been waiting all podcast to bring that in. Well um, done. We have reached the end of episode number forty-one of the Development Hill Podcast. As always, thank you to our sponsors, Engine Yard, um, purveyors of the uh, fine, fine purveyors of the platform as a service. If you are into PHP. Uh, ruby and uh, javascript type things uh, and you want to get a nice little scalable uh, sandbox container within which to run your code i highly suggest you check out their offerings and thank you to paul and will from wonder networks for as always providing the bandwidth so we can stream things out on Icecast. Um, you can find the podcast itself. Uh, you can find it in iTunes. You can go to uh, devhell.info, the website, and you can find every single episode we've done, along with uh, Ed's witty graphic renderings that he feels captures the unique essence of that particular podcast. You can play the podcast there. You can uh, view the links. Every show, we provide multiple links, uh, hopefully, about the topics that we cover. You can find us on Twitter, on devhell. Uh, at at dev underscore hell if you listen to us on itunes please 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 rate the podcast uh we need to know if we're doing good stuff if you want us to keep doing the things that we've been doing uh you can find me on twitter as grumpy Programmer without the u you can find ed on twitter as Funkatron with the u uh thanks so much to the people in irc for uh, hanging out with us and uh good night internet and we'll see you soon hopefully with episode number 42 good
1: night internet